fact, I'm going to share with you a very simple story, which is that I went home one day and I said, well, what's, why are conservatives bad, Mommy? Because I thought we were supposed to conserve things. <laughs> I couldn't reconcile it. Now I can. <laughs> um, the 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Hello and welcome to a big Energy Thursday program here at the Ruthless Variety program. Um, Why are conservatives bad, Mommy? I can't believe she says this with a straight face. (laughs) She's so stupid. Why are conservatives bad, Mommy? Oh, it's so great. And the best is like she completely expects the audience to be like, oh, isn't that funny? They're all like, man, she just can't stop saying weird shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, what an idiot. Um, so here we are uh, on a good Thursday. Unfortunately, we continue to be with the absence of our good friend Michael Duncan, who is uh, all well, enjoying his time. Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, it's because he's scared of losing King of the Hill again, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I think, back. I, think, I think there might be some of that. Yeah. I think, you, I think you've put your, your finger on it. You're certainly a sore loser about it. Yeah, he really is. I mean, um, what are you going to do? The guy won't show up because he's scared. Yeah, I'm ready to defend the title. Yeah. I, I want it to be known. I, I said that to both of you. I, I'm ready to defend the title. Unfortunately, my opponent is not here. Today. Well, nobody will ever stand in the way of the old man and his day off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> he's part of that generation. <laughs> uh, but we have a very, very big show. Our second presidential candidate of the week, Vivek Ramaswamy is on here today yeah and i think you know some of you remember him from the last time he was on the show he was uh he wrote a book woke inc and we were talking to him in the context of that uh he's since launched a presidential campaign and i'll be honest it is a very compelling message Mm -hmm. which is not surprising i mean he grew up in cincinnati for all intents and purposes he's from the midwest that's an all you needed to hear huh well he's got these midwestern sensibilities and i think there's a reason why his message makes sense to most of the country and it's because he comes from a place that where most of the country lives Mm -hmm. yeah he's saying he's saying what a lot of people are thinking it's great great interview i'm really really glad we have him today well, he's he's as quick as it gets. I mean, he's, he's extremely quick on his feet. He um, he understands and has given thought to why it is that he's running. He understands the audacity of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being like a first-time political candidate, you decide to run for a king of the world. Uh, yeah, it's been done though in recent time. <laughs> yeah, it's been done. It's been done. It, you know, it takes a lot of balls. But anyway, he's got that, and he's in here today. I think you're really going to enjoy it, though. Mm-hmm. I think I think. You know, regardless of where you fall in right now, in terms of who you ultimately think you're going to vote for in 2024, I think he's got a lot to say that will make you think. So that is at the end of the program. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff. Listen, we're going to cover the controversial topics today. Yeah. The stuff everybody's been talking about this week, the Jan 6 tapes, all that stuff. But we're also going to deal with some fun stuff and everything else. 
But as always on Thursday, we lead with some five stars. Let's go to The Voice. Okay, so this first one comes from Lie Webb, and the headline is very funny. What the cluck? <laughs> <laughs> and Lie Webb writes, seems you have a fair amount of followers in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Well, as- hold on. Let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there. Mm-hmm. Grand Forks. I've got a lot of family in Grand Forks, North mm-hmm. Dakota. Oh. Okay. My dad was born not far from there, mm-hmm. lived there for a long time, had... Uh, family in and around it i'm not surprised to see we've got some following there good part of the country it is good people well lie web writes uh about grand forks north dakota as our kfc couldn't keep up with the onslaught of orders for double downs excellent after listening (laughs) (laughs) after listening to thursday's show i got my family all excited about having a double down for supper (laughs) but when i pulled up i was told it'd be a 15 to 20 minute wait before i could get one Hope KFC gives you all the double downs you want over the next month. Thanks for keeping us from crying by keeping us laughing. That's Kelly S. Oh, uh, I love that. Awesome. Yeah. So awesome. Uh, a, a sidebar on that, I was contacted by a franchisee of really? KFC. No kidding. Really? Who said they would be more than happy to send the variety program some double downs for our consumption at the appropriate time. We got to take them up on it. 100%. Uh, we have to do that. 100%. 100%. I'm totally into that. Uh, Smug, you got the next one. Absolutely. This is from Higher Education Mike. They write The Pounce and Seize Game Fellas, huge fan from Charleston, South Carolina. Great town. You boys need to head to the Holy City for the primary season. I agree. I need to shake Smug's hand and listen to Ashbrook's beautiful voice. Holmes and Duncan, you two are wonderful as well. Anyways, I work in higher education. I know. Progressive paradise. A fellow colleague of mine is a Ruthless fan, just like yours truly. Huge. During a random lunch break, we decided to come up with a fun game. In meetings or business emails that we are attending or copied on together, we see how many times we could use the keywords pounce or seize. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to lie. It's pretty hard, but it's totally worth it. The highest I got was two pounces and three seasons. That's pretty impressive. That is good. My colleagues and I are fighting for the good fight inside the progressive paradise. Looking forward to hack madness, fellas. The first round is on me when you all visit. Cheers. Fan of pouncing and seizing. Oh, I love that. What a great review. I do, too. I, I, I really love that. And it's just like, it's just a fun game. You know, it's a fun game to do stuff like that. I remember my brother... And his buddies used to joke about one of one of their friends was a junior high football coach, and he was like, "Do you think you could make it all the way through a practice with nothing but cliches? Like, <laughs> keep chopping, fellas. We got to win. We got to win. Keep chopping. Like, say nothing that's not a like a football cliche." And so they, I mean, they tried it. You'll remember this uh, more apropos of what our program is all about. In 2014, we had a contest about who could write a 30 second ad with Obama's name in it the most times. Oh, yeah. I do, I do remember this. An ad, by the way, that would have millions of dollars put behind it. So it wasn't like everybody was just sort of joking. It had to be a decent text. Yeah. Right? So you could throw in something that if it didn't quite work, it didn't work because you weren't going to invest that kind of money behind it. So you had to, like, you know, fashion it correctly. Seven. Seven. seven in a 30 second ad we got obama in seven times in 30 seconds it was unbelievable just like obama i think is the <laughs> end of it right i mean was oh, it was a great ad and it was a good cycle 2014 we took the senate yeah yeah, yeah that's when uh, we had a country <laughs>
Um, all right. So, you know what? I, I am genuinely uh, upset that the old man can't read this next one. I, because so I, think, he, I think you got to do it. I, I'll do it. Uh, but, but this is the kind of thing the old man excels at because he shows a lot of emotion. The man loves love. He, he really does love love. The old man loves love. And I'm going to try to do my best to replicate it. But I, I guarantee you he would not make it through this. I'm going to do my best. Um, this is from PTO1298. Ruthless helped me laugh through my wife's passing. Oh, man. That's tough. February was not a great month for me. My wife passed away, and I needed to get it out of my mind and out of the darkness and ruthless, which my wife liked. Mm. She had the sarcasm of MKH and the political smarts of DeSantis as a precinct rep in Ohio. Mm. Thank you, Ruthless, for the laughter through the tears. We need another hack madness. Keep up the excellent guests and work. My happy warrior may be gone, but the battle continues. Wow. Uh, We're going to put together a hell of a hack madness in her honor and for you. Yeah, totally. Well, I appreciate that as we do all of the minions and everybody else who's who's sending in these things uh, to be honest it fills the tank every week Mm -hmm. so that's why we talk about it that's why we uh do this at the top of thursday segments um let's transition back to the top here we had uh kamala doing kamala things Mm -hmm. you gotta hear this interview that she did with andrea mitchell and and in particular the question (laughs) that was posed to her yeah and and it'll give you a good flavor for how 2024 is going to be framed by the corporate media let's say what does governor ron DeSantis not know about black history and the black experience when he says that slavery and the aftermath of slavery should not be taught to florida school children i don't know what he knows and what he doesn't know but i know this any push to censor America's teachers and tell them what they should be teaching in the best interest of our children in in partnership with the parents of America is I think um, wrong headed let's take this in parts let's take this in parts there's there's a lot there so first of all the question somehow despite all evidence to the contrary both in text and in practice Andrea Mitchell of MSNBC has what Ron DeSantis did in Florida down as a prohibition of teaching slavery and, quote, the aftermath of slavery. Which is an outright lie. It's a straight up lie. Complete lie. And she presents it as if it's some kind of, like, quote from a bill or from some speech he made completely fictitious but 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 also like couching it in a way that like i'm just going to tell you the facts i'd like you to react for them yeah right Right. so here are the facts the facts (laughs) facts are that this demon has done these demonic things right what do you think about that right i mean that claim of saying that ron DeSantis has made it illegal to teach about slavery is it's a complete lie it's the furthest thing from the truth but this is a consistent playbook the media tries using against DeSantis. The same thing with the, like, don't say gay bill. They tried saying that, oh, this bill makes it illegal to say the word gay in the state of Florida. Yeah, absolute lie. They said, which is an absolute lie, but they, they knew it. that pushing that lie on a public can be like, oh, hey, this guy believes this 
so 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 he's the bad guy. It's not that we're making up this absolute bullshit. He's the bad guy. And ironically, MSNBC is the network with the disinformation unit. Yeah. I mean, here you <laughs> They're doing have, a good job of it. They're pretty good at the disinformation. Full disinformation, full dishonesty, a complete lie in the setup of the question. And they want to pretend like they're the ones who are the arbiters of what's true and not true. <laughs> All right. So let's go let's go to the Kamala answer, which I find so hilarious. It's 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 honestly troubling. It is. Because if there were some leader in this country who was outlawing the teaching of slavery and the best you can come up with is wrongheaded, get out of town. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You, you know <laughs> She's what? He's like, he says you're not allowed to teach slavery. We know that's not true, but she says sets that up and come, Kamala Harris is like, yeah, well, you know what? That's wrongheaded. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks, lady. It's like, well, the Holocaust doesn't exist. What do you think about that? Well, I think there's some troubling aspects. To it. <laughs> so what I thought was really interesting is I think Kamala and perhaps this administration have learned a little bit of a lesson because she threw in that line after being like, you shouldn't censor teachers and also in partnership with parents, like the whole Yunkin thing. And, and well, that's the first thing that popped have, out to me. Right. Yeah, how parents have made it clear that, like, hey, we decide what our kids should be able to be, you know, are taught in these schools. They're not the property of teachers and school districts and teachers unions. And that lesson, you know, that got, you know, hammered into the heads of Dems, but you especially could, with the young kids. Well, hold on, but you could see the winch turn yep. in her head. Totally. Because she led with, she, that you shouldn't be questioning what teachers are teaching yep. your children. And, like, you could see all of a sudden, it's like... I'm all like, of a sudden, I'm Terry McAuliffe and parents. And parents. Right? right. Yeah. Oh, no. Total that's, Terry McAuliffe. Right? <laughs> couldn't you see it? You, I literally watched that's it. That's what happened. It's exactly right. This is the answer that a pollster gave her from a question that was written in a survey. <laughs> we have to talk about teachers because teachers' unions matter on our side. If Biden it kicks the bucket, God forbid, if something happens to Biden and you're the candidate, you need to have the teachers' unions on your side. You're yeah. not going to have anybody on the other side supporting you unless you say something about Cause the Because the answer from a teachers' union standpoint is don't ever question the teachers, yeah. which she leads with, and then all of a sudden you can see the ratchets in the brain. She's like, but I don't want to be Terry McAuliffe, so here I go, Like, and parents. Parents, too. That's her give. What an amazing clip. What an amazing clip. All right, so... Let's go to some good news. Look, I think that there's an awful lot here about you know, just the last whatever. And basically life itself, there's a lot of negativity around here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a while since we've had something to genuinely celebrate. There's a couple of things here that I think we're genuinely able to celebrate. Both of them are happening in the U.S. Senate this week. The first is FCC nominee withdraws her nomination after a bruising lobbying battle, according to the Washington Post, this is Gigi Sohn. Yes, and and the the program took very you know special interest in this because the fact of the matter is she was a left wing lunatic. Lunatic. Mm-hmm. Like uh, she 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 was uh, part of the reason she was brought down is you know we had uncovered all these tweets from her which are basically left wing lunacy of being like Donald Trump is an absolute monster. We can't allow conservatives to have their voices heard, which is pretty troubling from an FCC nominee yeah. who essentially, time and time again, advocated 
for not allowing conservatives on TV, not allowing conservatives on the internet. Well, she actually said that's out, insane. She said out loud what all of them are trying to that's do. That's the truth. That's the truth. Right? I mean, what we know to be true, based on what we found from the Twitter files and everything else, Correct. is that they would love it if you could actually outlaw conservative speech. Totally. And I don't mean that hyperbolically. No, they that's they want a legal means to force every conservative off the internet, off the airwaves. Yeah, and in the in the name of disinformation and everything else. But she had the audacity, and maybe she didn't think she'd ever find herself in this position. She fought, she said- She's like, no one's dumb enough to ever try to give me a job of consequence. <laughs> <laughs> but she really hung in there. Yeah, I mean, this battle- Two years. Was like two years long. They tried getting this lunatic, and, and, and you know, huge, huge congrats to the conservative movement. You saw folks banding together to stop this lady because what she could do to destroy the First Amendment in that position of power would be absolutely horrific. Mm -hmm. Yep. Horrific. Horrific. So anyway, she's done, though. Done. Another scalp for the program. Another scalp. Ding dong. She's gone. Listen, pal, it's been a while since we've been able to take a scalp, in large part because they don't vote on anything of consequence anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So it's tough to weigh in, but like you know, they, it's been a while since they put something like this up. And I, we had been so far into this, we've we've done this for like a year and a half that it finally came to fruition. I feel like a real sense of accomplishment here. Yeah, don't yeah. you? Oh, I, I savored that moment, but the fight continues. The fight continues. Uh, who's next? Is basically the 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 rallying call totally. here. Um, the, <laughs> you guys remember the disinfo chief? Oh yeah. The Ministry of Truth. Uh, she thought she was going to be the head of the Ministry yeah, of Truth. Yeah, she got and she got forget. nothing but a shit yeah, that sandwich. Was, that, that was a good scalp too. You know, I guess I didn't realize she's only thirty three years old. I mean, who else? Right, right in that target. Zone. If she had any life experience beyond thirty three, she would know damn well what what it was that she was doing right. was going to get her rung up. But at the same time, being thirty three and like all her Twitter was her singing like nursery rhymes and writing Harry Potter like fan fiction like this is a very demented individual dude it was scary yeah it was she was absolutely scary I mean she made it very easy to totally ace her which again the program yeah got that one too Mm -hmm. and all of you and honestly what we should say is we're talking about Gigi Sohn and Nina Jankowitz like as you're listening to this stuff the fact that you all take action on this stuff is the reason why it happens bingo It's, it's really true it's the reason why not like we could speak into a, a cave and nobody would listen we like to think we have some influence around the hill and people call us for our opinions and things like that but ultimately it's all of you because yep. you're the ones that vote for these people yep right so Huge. nina jankowitz now finds herself in a little bit of a situation as we say um she <laughs> but according to politico uh this is the headline surreal experience Former huh. Biden disinfo chief <laughs> details harassment. Oh, oh woe is her. Jankowitz, so difficult. 33 is a researcher and author of two books whose stint heading the Biden administration's disinformation governance board lasted a few weeks last spring before the board itself was dissolved by the administration following an outcry by GOP lawmakers that it was going to censor free speech of conservatives, which is precisely That's what it exactly was. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Now, it looks like Jankowitz will be back in the spotlight. Uh-oh. This is great. I can't wait. Get the popcorn. Congressman Jim Jordan, a good friend of the program, you've heard him here a few times, plans to make Jankowitz a star witness before his new select subcommittee on the weaponization of government. 
which Republicans say will investigate alleged abuses of federal authority. On Monday, Jordan issued a subpoena compelling Jankwitz to sit for a deposition. <laughs> God bless him. This is going to be so God, God bless him because it's very important to get to the bottom of yes, this. Yes, it is. If you, Anytime you read the press setting up a 33-year-old as the victim, I mean, it the country's been around 250 years and you have this person who comes along at 33 and they're like, you know what, I'm going to be in charge of whether you can have free speech or not. Yeah. <laughs> You should ask him questions. Yeah, well, you know, it exposes more than you ever would imagine. Right. This is what Jim Jordan has as a gift. Mm-hmm. This is what separates him from everybody else. God bless him. I love Jamie Comer. I actually genuinely love Jamie Comer. If I have one critique about the first few weeks of his oversight committee leadership, it's that they keep chasing shit that's the news of the day, right? Like I read today, they're gonna they're gonna like do something with like Jan six uh, prisoners or something like that, dude. What we need is to get the answers to how all of this shit happened in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like you need a historical reference. You need an understanding of how they have like uncorked this bottle of progressive bullshit mm-hmm. that is sabotage the entire federal government. Right. Where does it, where Jordan does it, gets that. Where does it come from, the idea of putting a 33-year-old in charge of free speech in this country? Right. Where does where does that idea even come? Like, who in their right mind would ever come up with something so stupid? Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I think it's, I think you make a great point. I think Jordan trying to get to the bottom of this is is it's it's really smart. Well, and he also had like in it's really our, important in our in our interview that we did with him. Um, you know, I made mention of the fact that this kind of thing had been happening for a long time under Democratic administrations, and he was immediately like, yeah, I remember the IRS in 2012. Right. Right? It's just like right. top of mind. Like, he right. understands this stuff at a level that is deeper than your average staffer or person who does this for a living. He does, and it's much bigger than partisanship. You know, like, we, we, we rag on Jankowitz, we rag on the Biden administration, but, I mean, stepping outside of our views... Like, imagine if you're a Democrat, imagine if there's a Republican who's in charge of free speech. Yeah. That's, I mean, like, okay, great, high five that we can, like, shut down Democrats from talking. But, like, that's not what this country was founded on. Everybody's got ideas. We are not afraid of people with different ideas because we know as conservatives our ideas are better. Exactly right. Exactly right. But anyway, everybody's going to give this lady a chance to cry about it. So on Monday after she... uh, uh, got the subpoena. Uh, she's got a story to tell. I, I want to read this quote yeah. because this is wild. Uh, this is from the Politico interview. Uh, it says, but that was just the beginning, she said, detailing for the first time a year of intense public and online harassment spurred, she said, by conservative media attacks and emblemized by the self-styled citizen journalist who repeatedly stalked her, doxing and recording her without her consent. There's a lot of... So this is a really weird thing that I've noticed from the media lately. And they tried doing this uh, when... Pete was out in Ohio. Uh, his press secretary was like, "You're not allowed to record him without his consent." It's like, uh, "Sorry, he's a public figure. If he's out in public, yes, we can ask him questions while we're recording." Right. He's trying to be president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so the media will run with this like, "She was recorded without her consent." Oh, well, she's a public figure in public. Guess what? You don't get to decide if the First Amendment exists or not because it's inconvenient for you. Uh, but but it continues to says she says it was a surreal experience to be forced to confront this guy Jankowitz told Politico in an interview 
In one video, she says the man said her newborn should be put in baby jail. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I mean, I. Oh. Who was this journalist? That's real journalism, to be honest. I mean, put the, the baby in baby jail. The funny thing, like you, you made reference to the fact that all of these people are like, you're not allowed to record him without yeah. his. We're consent. not allowed to be questioned. Don't you know we're the ruling class? When I was McConnell's chief of staff, they bugged my office. Progressive activists bugged my office. Wow. Used the recordings and gave it to Mother Jones, right? Tried to, and like, honestly, everything that I said on the recordings, I would say into this microphone. So it wasn't like from my perspective a problem, but they saw it as a big story. And nothing ever came of it. Like, nobody ever, that, I mean, incredible. You want to talk about uh, without your knowledge. And we were in a, a, a one party consent state, I mean, two party consent state. So, like, they definitely should have been charged for it. Never were, right? Nothing ever happened. So, like, quick whining on yeah. this stuff. If you're a public figure, you got to deal with it. And honestly, just say what you mean and mean what you say. That probably do, does more than anything. Um, do you guys want some uh, animal stuff? Absolutely. Always. How about Dolphin Dave? What's the story on Dolphin well, Dave? Well, from CBS News. A man who calls himself Dolphin Dave cited for allegedly harassing humpback whales and dolphins in Hawaii. I think someone listened to Ashbrook and took it too literally. Smash, I feel like you were single-handedly responsible for this arrest. What did he do? I want, I, you should. There's the segment. I want to hear from your... From I, your I'm going to read it, right and then I'd like your immediate reaction. Okay. A man from Maui, Hawaii, refers him to himself as Dolphin Dave, is accused of harassing humpback whales and dolphins in Hawaii. This weekend, the Department of Land and Natural Resources received an influx of calls about a man pursuing a humpback whale on the Big Island, uh, the department said in a Facebook post on Monday. <laughs> the suspect was identified as 65-year-old David Jimenez, who is allegedly seen snorkeling close, snorkeling, close to a humpback whale in... Kealuka? Uh, Kealuka. I don't know. It's Hawaiian. It's tough to say. Bay State Historical Park on Sunday. The department shared a video on social media that appears to have been filmed underwater by Jimenez himself. He is seen swimming close to the whale, reaching out, nearly touching its fin. And when the department cardinal sin, you're not you're not allowed to swim close to him. <laughs> when the department's enforcement division arrived on the scene, uh, Jimenez was near a pod of dolphins responding. Officer recorded Jimenez allegedly pursuing the pod of dolphins uh, and leading the group to chase the animals. When asked about the incident, Jimenez told officers he's not going to stop swimming with the whales and dolphins because it's magical and others are doing much worse things. Okay. That's All an right. amazing <laughs> let me Let me stop you right there. What is what crime is Jimenez committed? And if And if he has committed a crime by swimming in the sea where whales and dolphins just happen to be located i mean <laughs> do you hold on let me stop you let me stop you there smug i like your opinion on this he, he should do you think it's possible this seems weird do you think Something it's possible that jimenez was adopting some sort of blowhole technique that has been suggested on, so, the, on the program i would not be surprised i'm surprised he didn't roll with the like left-wing line of like well listen 
they're anti-fascist because the name's Antifa. It's anti. It must be fighting the fascists. And this is a, a humpback whale, folks. Like this is the name of the game. I just, I, I mean, I don't have anything confused here. Someone tell me if I'm wrong. They said they were humpbacks. And he was like, I listened to this guy John Ashbrook on I this podcast. The, I humped Who the told back. me what to do okay. if I come across a I, whale? Listen, fellas. <laughs> Actions he, have consequences. Here, you he, told him man is what to do. Here's the deal. The guy is trying to swim with swim in the ocean, okay? He's taking pictures in the ocean. He is doing everything right. And somehow, the man who cares more about animals than they care about humans is against him because he quote unquote harassed an animal. That is so well, let me tell you let me tell you something. There is no such thing as harassing an animal. In a world <laughs> where people treat each other horribly, we need to stop thinking about harassing animals, okay? We have dominion over these monsters. What if he was sexually harassing the animal? Okay, it doesn't say that. But it, it, it's it does implied. not say that. It, it is implied. I think it was kind of implied because it does implied. sound super weird. They wouldn't be like if he was just swimming with whales. I mean, people pay you that on what? the whole vacation. If you're saying it's implied, it's implied because the mainstream media is sick. Oh, they're I, implying I buy that. it. That's if they're implying it, they're implying it for clicks <laughs> because they care more about animals than they care about people. The man was harassing a humpback, and they made clear to clue both. They, they said using, they were getting multiple they're using, calls. They're using ambiguous language because they think that benefits them. What, is, what about Jimenez? Again, we have the media sticking up for animals I just at be, the expense of some guy. But I, I just mean, tell be, me about I want to be David clear. Jimenez. I want to be clear. If Jimenez felt threatened and he actually humped the humpback. It doesn't say that. It, it, it literally... You don't, so you don't, you're not going to entertain a hypothetical it, here? It, because there is no hypothetical. <laughs> it doesn't. It does not say that. They use, they use scare terms. You know, they use weasel words to try to get clicks, just like your typical Democrat press secretary would use. But my point is that Jimenez is just out for a swim. These animals who have basically carte blanche on the mainstream media, uh, these animals are, you know, Jimenez is the guy who's been harassed here. Well, you know, look, uh, cover your blowholes when the Ashbrooks go to the golf, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. you got to be kidding me. It sounds like It's weird. just completely outrageous. Sounds it's weird. just completely outrageous. <laughs> I, I, the only thing I stand for is that humans are better than animals, okay? That's the only thing I stand I for, and I, th I think more people in our country should probably subscribe to the same view okay the humans are better than animals a fair point. very simple point you've had your you, you've made a very and david point. jimenez does not deserve this kind of harassment Poor from Mr. the corporate media jimenez okay all right well it turns out it's the government's involved so you know we're we're uh, the government of hawaii the, the, not exactly that might, that might lead to the next topic yeah oh boy the government turns involved. out maybe the government's involved maybe the government's involved all right, so we're going to have a difference of opinion here. I really wish Duncan was because I know he's got strong takes on this. Um, but we're going to talk Tucker here for a minute. And what came out this week was, according to the New York Times, uh, that Republican lawmakers are split over Carlson's uh, false Jan 6 claims. What claims let, are false? Let me it? just get out of the media altogether. Mm. Because honestly... I don't trust them, and you don't trust them when it nope. when it when it uh, comes to covering this issue, and I don't want to talk about it in terms of like the way the corporate media 
has framed it. I think all of us can agree on that. Um, what happened this week was that Kevin McCarthy, as Speaker, vowed to turn over, I think, 40,000 hours of surveillance tape inside the Capitol of January 6th and provided exclusively to Tucker Carlson on a show on Fox News to do with it uh, what they pleased. And um, I, what I want to do is just co- sort of lay out my view. I know you've got a different view. I have a very different view. But you yeah. have a very different view of this. But what I want to do is lay out my view because, I, I, first of all, let me just say at the outset, it drives me fucking nuts that after three years of, of what happened at January 6th, where everyone in the world knows exactly what happened. Do we? I don't think we do. We 100% I don't do. think we do. We, we, until I saw this video of them leading that uh, guy in a, in, a, in a wolf head dress around, I didn't see that when, when the Jan 6 Commission is putting out video. I didn't see that when every news station is putting out video. I didn't see him being led around by six cops checking to see if a door's locked to let him in. I didn't see that. Okay. All right. Well, if that is the case then I think we'll take this opportunity to talk about what everybody may or may not have seen, right? Yeah. So let me say I I do not have any problem with releasing this video. I think anyone, least of all the media, that has any problem with releasing this video is a monster. Yeah. I don't think that there is any reason... Why something of such public significance should ever be secret Mm -hmm. at all. I think if I would have had uh, an objection, it would be that this should have come out in the context of the the, the Jan 6 hearings, and they should have put it on a website right away. If you want to watch, what, 60,000, they released 20,000 hours of video, and this was 41,000 hours of video. If you want to watch 61,000 hours of video of the surveillance, God bless you. But it should have been, it should have been there yeah. for everybody. No, and the fact that it wasn't, I think, proves that the, the entire uh, Jan 6 committee was a sham. Yeah, it correct. Was, it was politically motivated. Yes, it was. They weren't interested in facts. And I agree with you. I think that I think that Tucker had every right to share this. I think that the media um, is supposed to provide inf- interesting information that may be different from what the mo- majority narrative is telling you. Isn't that isn't that the whole point? Like I, I really don't like. Well, we also media. were in the ba- we're also on the back end of RussiaGate. Mm-hmm. We're on the back end of an enormous uh, the Twitter files. We're, we're on the back end of the Biden uh, laptop. Like, all of the stuff that they told us didn't exist that we now know exists, I understand why this lands like an atomic bomb. And let's That's be, what I'm saying. Let's, I get it. We Let, now have a track record of this administration, of the left and the media doing everything they can to create a narrative frequently grounded in, in zero facts and, and the, the same way that we've been covering uh, the, the COVID lab. Right. For years, we were told, you're not allowed to say this. You're a monster if you say this. This is what you're allowed to believe. And so now we're being given video of an insurrection 
where they're leading, they're walking, police are walking around the leader of an insurrection as he attacks democracy and is trying to end democracy globally. And it, and it looks like a confused guy being walked around. Being like, yeah, so uh, we all have different interpretations of this, Smog, and I, I, want to, I honestly want your full interpretation of this because I think the audience deserves it. But I just want to walk through a few things. My personal take is when I saw the video, I never have ever come to the conclusion based on the video that I'd already seen that there wasn't the majority of people who entered the building that day who had no intent of disrupting the or, the electoral count that these weren't like radical you know the 1960s style uh, uh weather underground which obama associated with type people who are attempting to disrupt government the vast majority were not that there were some people who were like that and let me i oh, okay. I, I need to walk okay. through that okay right but but before we get to that the only relevant question in my mind and I think that should be in the mind of everybody that's listening to this, is whether or not the people who were convicted of crimes related to January 6th had access to this video in their own defense. The answer to that, according to a quote that was given from law enforcement, is they did. They did. I don't trust Which, them. Well... Well, how could they not? Well, no, no. How could they not? Oh, well, shit. No, no, no. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me the just say. The past five years, I think, have been a really good metric yeah, for but, how could they not. But, but I that's, think, that, I think but, there's, there's a on. difference between media, media like description of something and the factual. Um, I think that's part of the problem here is, is during the segment, we were told that defendants weren't given access to much of this video. No, that. but what they're saying, what everyone during is saying. During the Monday segment. What everyone, saying. what the law enforcement is saying is that they had access to all of this video. What, and let me just assure you, from a court standpoint, if there is new evidence that was not provided to the defense, the grounds for appeal on any conviction is like overnight. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the other thing is, uh, do you think, uh, they gave the example of the wolf viking guy, of where he instantly took a plea and is now doing four years in prison uh, for being led around by cops. Do you think any of these people, after seeing what our government is willing to do to them, is going to do anything except be fully compliant? This is a horrible situation here. Well, I mean, look, if, if, there's one thing to... There's one, I agree with that. I agree with what you just said. But there's one thing... I believe in our courts. I wish I could... I believe in our courts. We're seeing Joe Biden daily with the lawlessness. Well, if, I, I actually, I actually unilaterally do. I, here's, here's trying to thing. say I'm going to give my voters amnesty our, for for their rent payments. I'm going to give them amnesty for college tuition. Okay. Okay. That's lawlessness. Our, our, our justice system is imperfect, and these guys, a lot of them, sat uh, in behind bars for way too long before their their case was heard or the you know or adjudicated, but. Our justice system is more precise than the mainstream media. In other words, if you look at like Jackie Heinrich, for example, she Fox reporter last night, she reported out some facts that I think are very important to keep in mind, because to your guys point that not everybody was the same on January 6th. Uh, 
it, it, not everybody was the same in the eyes of, of the Justice Department. So there were 52 felony charges for assaulting law enforcement officers, okay? So 52 charges against, you know, people attacking cops. Not everybody there was attacking cops. Some people were old and just kind of walking through the building. There's a difference between those two types of people. And the media blends it all together, and they say that this 80-year-old person who's and I think there... More than the can, media can, can, I pa- can I pause you on that? 52 convictions. Mm-hmm. 52 convictions. I don't know how many charges there were. So a couple There's 52 things, convictions. Right. Okay, okay, okay. That's, I'm sorry, I, I, I misspoke. People who, right. who have been adjudicated based on the evidence and found by a jury of their peers guilty of assaulting cops. How right. many How many right. uh, individuals were charged and convicted with setting D.C. on fire the summer of 2020? No, no, no. I don't know. Not as many as should have been. And I guess my, New York was a blanket hold on. amnesty. Stop, stop with this bullshit. I want to talk about this, right? This is I mean, the exact same no, thing. No, 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 no. It's thing. not because we all agree on what you're saying. I, we all agree the hypocrisy. We all agree on everything that there is to say about the riots of 2020, the absurdity of this like somehow removal of having to be quarantined that you could go out and burn your cities down. The the vice president of the United States putting in uh, uh, like fundraising appeals for bail funds for murderers who went out and, and killed other people. We all agree on that. There's not a single cent. So I, like, not for a second do I want to distract from the facts of this from saying, yeah, but they did it too. That's not a distraction at all. Because that's no, it's why not. it's hard to have faith in a court system when we don't have equal protection under the law. That's why I don't buy it. We do not have equal protection under the law. Conservatives will get charged, but liberals get congratulated when they set fire to cities across this country those images from june 2020 when dc was set afire not like that since the war of 1812 and and we weren't we didn't have a national moment of being like folks remember june 2020 no one knows the date of that but we were told that we all have to self-flagellate and apologize as conservatives because we try to kill democracy i'm not disagreeing with you i'm saying that simply saying there's a difference between the 52 people who assaulted cops and everybody else who is like, okay, well, I'm just here to protest what I disagree with. I mean, there is a very, there's a huge gulf of difference between somebody who is throwing throwing fists at police and somebody who is just like carrying the flag and saying, look, I am exercising my right as an American to disagree with what's happening. And I think that's another reason it's so important that we saw this video of where so much of the video that uh, Tucker showed is you're essentially seeing boomers carrying flags, walking between the velvet ropes, taking selfies, taking photos. Like this is this is not uh, the the case of January sixth committee saying that like on this day this country almost ended. That's two very separate separate things that the right, American but, people were told and shown. But you can't gloss over the fact that there were some very very bad people in there who were banging on doors, literally trying to drag people out of their offices and assault them or worse. I mean, that, here, there, there, my, here, there were terrible people in so there. It's I not walk, everybody. I, I want to walk through specifics. you got to be specific. I want to walk through specifics because I think this fucking matters. Like, look, there is not a single thing about what happened in June of 2020 that I don't think is entirely miscarriage of justice. Not one thing. I think it makes it much easier to attack the miscarriage of justice 
when you don't gloss over, as we did this week, what happened on January 6th. And what happened on January 6th was there was an awful lot of people, as we saw in the video, who were not violent, who were basically didn't know that they were doing anything wrong. Right. Taken advantage of. But Elmer Rhodes, Kelly Eggs, the leaders of the Oath Keepers were convicted of seditious conspiracy. The prosecution proved to a jury that they planned, trained, and led an effort to disrupt the electoral count. Now, let me tell you what that means. They told their followers in the weeks before January 6th, as President Trump was disputing the results of the election, that there would be a, quote, bloody and desperate fight. We're going to have a fight, and that can't be avoided, unquote, according to court documents. He published a letter advocating for the use of force to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power, unquote. They spent $15,500 on firearms and equipment and urged followers to come prepared with their own. There is a huge difference between your average person who was there exercising their right of the First Amendment and the people who were looking for firearms to fight cops. Like, and this is where the media has failed us. This, like, their inability to to explain the difference between those two groups of people who were there has really hurt this country. Yeah. I mean, it really has hurt. It this really country. hurt this yeah. country. And and I think like I think Tucker exposing some of that is is helpful. I think it tells I think it tells a different it does, side of the story. It does, but the problem is the what the difference is between what Tucker did, and I believe that Tucker went into it for the right reasons. But I would say to him, and I think he would he would have an argument with me about this, that the idea that there were some people who didn't do anything wrong doesn't erase the very serious things that were not. No, that's I don't good think that point. was the intention. Well, it or, may or, not have or, been, but it was not not I, part of the story. I, I, and it gave and you saw by Twitter, Smug, you saw by Twitter the people who wanted to believe this whole thing was a hoax, that this entire thing was made up. That, that, that the government and the media basically made it all up. I don't up. care to use Twitter as a barometer for, for what this means. What I think is far more important what we saw from that video and what the, what the segments uh, delved into is we were told by elected officials in this country that officers were murdered, that conservatives should feel bad for having blood on their hands for killing Brian Sicknick. And then we see video, and Brian Sicknick was not murdered on the steps. As we were told, Joe Biden said the direct words that he was murdered there. All right. And then that goes even beyond the medical examiner. I have right here. It says uh, the U.S. Uh, CP, that's the Capitol Police, accepts the findings from the District of Columbia's office of the chief medical examiner that Officer Brian Sicknick died of natural causes. We were told by our batters, by our elected officials, Dude, that we, we, we were murdered. We, we all took part in murdering this officer. No, I listen. That's horrific. Again, it is horrific. You're right. The characterization is horrific also happens that the after the comma of what you just read is that the events that happened the day before clearly had an impact and he was pepper sprayed and assaulted and the two people who did it were convicted and went to jail not for murder not for murder because of what the medical examiner concluded 
but they were convicted of assault, right? As they should be if you were pepper spraying a cop on the steps of the Capitol. But let me get back into this, these other people. They staged those weapons that they bought at a comfort inn across the river. <laughs> you know where it is. It's insane. I know where it is. It's very, very close to here. And they referred to this as it was staffed as a QFR reaction or a QRF reaction force. Those in the military know what that is. It's a quick reaction force. These guys were military and basically created a paramilitary force. Terry Cummings, a guy who testified, who was part of this QRF, he said that I had not, quote, I had not seen that many weapons in one location since I was in the military, unquote. This is not a fucking tour guide. How many of those were brought into the Capitol and and how many bullets were fired? They weren't. There was only, to my knowledge, there were only a couple rounds that were fired in the Capitol. Well, you're 100% right, but does that does that exonerate what this actually was and the intent of it was? Because let me keep going. The two teams that these people, the Oath Keepers, sent went to President Trump's speech where they had VIP passes. VIP passes. They went there, and then they helped lead the march to the Capitol. Meanwhile, they were all plugged in with earbuds where they were keeping in constant communication. Once the critical mass of people had broken through the initial barriers, the teams, there were two teams of Oath Keepers, formed what they call stacks. Again, if you're in the military, you know what I'm talking about. Those stacks breached the Capitol itself. At that point, as the breach was happening, they were joined with other violent people. Again, the very few minority of people who are actually there. But this, my friends, fucking happened, right? This was not a guided tour of the goddamn Capitol. The fact, what you're describing right now, the fact that that is not what everybody understands about what happened on January 6th is a miscarriage of the uh, the January 6th committee. It's a miscarriage of the, uh, the the mainstream media. If the January 6th committee was were serious and were real, that is what they would be talking about. But instead, all they talked about was a blend of all Republicans are responsible. Every conservative who showed up at the Capitol that day is equally as responsible as the person who brought guns and put them in the Comfort Inn and Suites. You're exactly right. And that is the problem. That's the problem. And if if they the, the fact that they were not specific, the fact that they were more interested in their political win and scoring political points for their side, which the mainstream media, they're Democrats, okay? The, if they were more considered with co- concerned with the facts than they were about scoring political points for their side, the American people would have an understanding of what actually happened rather than a completely blurred picture that they have today. Let me put a bow on this. They had constant communication, as I referred to. When there were rumors, and you guys remember this in the day, because it was chaotic, about first it was Antifa. There was the one that were responsible. Then it was federal law enforcement that was helping to get them through. And hold on. I think, okay, we we definitely got to talk about that. We got to talk about that. When there were rumors of all of that, roads, 
the guy who was responsible for all this, who was convicted of seditious conspiracy, wrote in a secure chat, nope, quote unquote, nope, I'm right here. These are patriots, unquote. I trust the word of a lunatic. If he tells me nothing shady's going on, I mean, the guy's clearly off his rocker. I think he might be telling the truth. No, there's a reason why, there's an instance of, uh, gosh, why can't I remember his name? The guy who the night before is showing up to. Oh, I know, I know, I know all, that guy, yeah. All these gatherings being like, tomorrow we're going into the Capitol, and everyone's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, apps. Apps, right? Right, we need, we need to know more about apps. We need to know more about that. We need to know more about folks who, who in this video that Tucker showed, and he didn't show their faces because he said that it was extremely fishy, that these are individuals who are doing the same things as others. They're guiding folks into the building, and none of these folks were ever charged. None of these folks were ever mentioned by the J6 committee. Do Look, I think it's is... outlandish that the federal government, the FBI, who will designate parents who show up to school board meetings as domestic terrorists would do something fishy? Absolutely not, no. I mean, the CIA has done sketchy things for the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and, and I guess now the feds have decided all of a sudden, okay, now we're going to be completely But But honestly, honest but, but here, you, this, is, this all, in my mind, gets to the foundation of the problem that we have with our party right now, which is... You can either accept prima facie facts as they lay out, or you can come up with a conspiracy theory to mitigate all of it. And the bottom line is, these are prima facie facts. Roads did not work for the government. The lab leak theory was a, was a conspiracy theory. That was told, oh, this is just a lunatic thing. Every, like the number of instances, oh, you don't agree that uh, uh, Donald Trump's a KGB agent? What's your conspiracy theory, that he's not a Russian asset? We didn't ever have any facts. You, I mean, these were people who try. I think those things are an entirely different set of circumstances. If you don't believe that there were people on January 6th intent to do harm oh, I'm not to the that. Capitol, it's clear. I don't, I, I, there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing I can do for you. And it, honestly, you're, you and I are never going to agree on that if you don't believe that there were a significant number of people. I mean, shit, as you said, there were 60 plus people convicted of assaulting police officers right. for Christ's sakes. It doesn't take a lot of instigation to assault a police. I mean, police, that's insane. I think what really bothers conservatives is that there are a lot of conservatives who are like, hey, I didn't agree with what happened there, um, but I didn't assault a cop. You know, I, I was, you know, like they, there are, they don't want to be painted with this brush that the media constantly paints them with. And like to your guys' point, like on the heels of Russiagate and on the heels of the pandemic and everything else, and, and all they want is a fair shake. You know, all they want is a spot in the story where it says, okay, Democrats say this, well, conservatives say that. And it's like you can't get a story that gives them a fair shake. You know, you, you just, you never can. I, listen, I agree with all that. I guess my point is, we all know, at least I have a very clear view of what happened on January 6th. I think there was an incredibly peaceful rally of the vast majority of Trump supporters that were very upset with the outcome of the election. I have got my arguments about whether it's appropriate or not to try to fan the flames of discontent on something that you knew was not right, but... I think that that is probably less important than the facts of the matter. And the only problem 
that I have, and I think that there are many Republicans like me that have about Tucker's report, is that somehow it didn't also include the fact that there was real shit that happened here, which is why I wanted to go through this. It, it, this was not a tour guide. Right. This was not. For right. many, for many people, they had no idea. And right. look, I mean, I've already seen before these tapes were released, we already saw grandmas with Trump signs walking through the, the statuary <laughs> hall. The gra- Do you think you mean to convince me that somehow that's like a, a somebody attempting a coup d'etat in that's, our country? Is, yeah. Like, the, no, no chance. The grandmas with Trump signs weren't the ones banging on the doors trying to trick people to open them and get them out so they could or kick their ass. beating them with flags and dragging them exactly. into the crowd, which happened. My friends, that happened. So the longer that you talk about this shit, the longer that you think you can make a case that nothing happened, and the, if you can't come to grips with the, the fact that this was a shit day for America, I'm not sure there is much of a future for a conservative movement because honestly you know what the rest of the country thinks of it we've had two we've had a referendum on it in 2022 you saw a whole bunch of people 71 percent of people who thought biden was ruining the economy and they couldn't pull the fucking lever for a republican candidate why do you think that was do you think it's because that they thought maybe we're a little crazy that the media said that, oh, wow, every conservative is involved in sedition? We're, we're so far beyond that. I don't even know a conservative who reads the mainstream media or listens to the nightly news. No, they don't. They I don't. don't. And the media has done that. It's not about it's their that. Own, it's, right. it, it, it's not about that. It's about coming to grips with facts and reality and then moving on. Clearly, they're going to lie about us. They always will. And they always, you know, and I hope that the good efforts of comer and jordan and everybody else expose what's happening in the deep state with the fbi the cia and everybody else but do not forget the actual facts of what happened that day do not brush that under the rug because you saw wolf viking being paraded around the senate chamber first of all as if a guy with a fucking viking helmet just walking into the senate chamber and and presiding in the president's chair is something that's normal in this country. We've had worse. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. It's a fair point. Thank you, Smug. That's a perfect way to end this. That's a perfect way to end this. But we've got, look, we've got one other segment that I want to do before we get into the interview. And that is about the D.C. City Council thing. We were the absolute first. I mean the absolute first. Not the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Associated Press. Nobody, nobody in American politics had this story before you did by listening to the Ruthless Variety program. And we've turned this into a total fucking mess for the Biden administration. (laughs) We told you the minute, the minute that the House of Representatives passed a bill overturning the D.C. City Council's reduction of crime sentences for, like, carjackings and violent crimes, that there was a special procedure in the United States Senate that that circumvented the filibuster, and there's a good chance they would pass it. We were the first. We told that story. In fact, the day we did that program, I went on Fox News, and we were going to do a segment we ultimately didn't get to, but Chad Pergram's report at the time was like, well, it's going to be killed in the Senate. 
and my view was it wasn't going to be killed in the Senate. It was it was going to pass the Senate, and it could be Biden's first veto, which we talked about on the program. Mm. Well, he obviously is a guy who's still aiming for a reelection because he decided he's not going to veto it. And despite a pretty party line vote in the House, which House Democrats are now furious about, they're like, "Whoa, we we all agreed we're going to legalize crime, bro." <laughs> Dude, that's literally what happened. That's literally what happened. All of a sudden, Biden's like, I'm not going to veto. And Schumer's like, yeah, it sounds good. (laughs) The House Republicans or House Democrats are just left standing there. They're literally holding the bag on this whole thing. It worked out so beautifully. You hate to see it. So beautifully. So between Gigi Sohn Mm -hmm. and this D.C. crime bill that's happening basically today, uh... Those are a couple of big wins for a minority situation, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are those are huge, huge deals. This has turned into such a nightmare of a shitstorm for the Biden administration. Dems in the House are furious. Like, what the hell? You left us holding the bag on this. He's like, I'm sorry. I just can't legalize crime in D.C. It would be hell to pay for that. Nobody what, agrees I mean, with think, this. think about the mindset of these House Democrats. One of their own colleagues was assaulted. <laughs> last month <laughs> yeah. know, don't you remember voted. that in her own apartment building i think it was she's, the day of the vote yeah she's walking she's trying to get to the vote. somebody just cold cocks her or something right yeah like no, it, it was, was a, a representative from minnesota and dems are like Listen, angie craig i think your name yes. was we know you got assaulted but you gotta legalize the you crime. Gotta <laughs> legalize. We gotta legalize the crime, Angie. This is important to our constituency. It's a civil rights matter of our time. <laughs> so anyway, they all bailed on it, and that's gonna sail through. Thank God. Thank God. We've turned the tide on that. Fellas, let's get to this interview because I think Vivek has a really important message here. I want to welcome to the program an old friend of the program. You've heard him here before as an author when he wrote the book Woke Inc., but you're hearing him now as a candidate for president of the United States, Vivek Ramaswamy. Welcome to the program, sir. Good to be on, Josh. How you doing? I'm great, man. I'm great. I got to tell you, when we first chatted with you years ago now, you were just sort of getting involved in politics, knew you wanted to do something knew you wanted to get involved because of your life experience as an executive, thought you had a important story to tell. It turned out that message was pretty resonant uh, out there. And I blinked my eyes and now here you are, a candidate for president. Well, it's been a winding journey. I mean, I, for a while there, I thought actually politics. So first I stepped down as a CEO and I thought that maybe there was a path in politics that Senate seat opened up back when you and I first spoke. Actually, I think we met shortly after that uh, in, in Ohio. And actually decided that, you know what, I don't want to be a politician. I want to drive change in our culture, though, on some of the cultural and political issues that matter most to me and I think to the country. And so try to do it through the private sector. And I think, you know, did, did some positive damage that way, writing two books, uh, have a third one coming out this year, traveling the country, started Strive, a new business that's now competing against BlackRock. And I'm really proud of the impact that I was able to have. I enjoyed it as well. I think I enjoyed it more than I would have enjoyed partisan politics. But the thing that drew me back into you know straight electoral politics, and, and this time I think pursuing the presidency, is that 
you know what? As much as I was tackling the merger of state power and corporate power through exposing it in Woking or through fighting it in Strive, it only works insofar as we have a culture that's ready to buy up what they're selling. Yeah. And I think that that cultural revival, that national revival is something that requires more than just top-down solutions. I think it's going to require a bottom-up remembering of who we are as Americans. And I thought there was no better way for me to lead that national revival than to successfully get elected as president of the United States and to lead more than just a political campaign, but a cultural movement in this country that actually lasts all the way through hopefully a couple of terms in the White House. And that's what we're embarking on now. Yeah, well, you're certainly making progress on that. And I think as an important part of the early campaign, you have sort of carved out this lane based on your own lived experiences and how not just corporate America, but everything writ large uh, has sort of been framed as an anti-American way of life. One of the, the things I heard you say that really resonated with me is you asked the average person in a younger generation what it means to be an American, and you, you don't really get an answer anymore. Mm-hmm. You get a blank stare. I mean, that's yeah. my experience. I've, I've traveled this country for the last number of months. I asked that question, especially to young Americans. I mean, what does it mean to you to be an American? You know, it's really just like a blank stare. It's a void. And I think that that's the national identity crisis we're in. We're in this individual identity crisis and a national identity crisis where most young people, and it's not just young people anymore, Josh, most people in any generation, they've lost the things that used to give them purpose and meaning. Faith, patriotism, national identity, family, even hard work really is a source of identity. That too has disappeared. It's no surprise that we have a depression epidemic, an anxiety epidemic, a mental health epidemic in this country because we hunger to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Yet we can't even answer a question as basic as what it means to be a citizen of this nation. What does it mean to be an American? I think that presents, though, oddly enough, an opportunity for the GOP to fill that vacuum, to fill that void with the vision of American national identity that runs so deep that it dilutes these so-called woke agendas to irrelevance from gender ideology to climatism to covidism to racial wokeism. These things are just symptoms of a deeper need for meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think the conservative movement has not done well enough. We've done well, plenty well, myself included, I would say in this criticizing the other side. That's the easy work. But the harder work is what's our vision for what we fill that need for purpose with instead. And I think we can fill that void with the vision of what it means to be American by reviving the principles, the ideas that set this nation into motion. And mm -hmm. even beyond the principles, a little bit of that founding culture too, a little bit of that gusto, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, I would say confidence and, and self-confidence as a country that our founders had, but that we lack today. I think it's that unique combination of both cultural irreverence, which is what I think the founding culture of America was all about, but combined with the basic principles of meritocracy and free speech and self-governance that defined what it meant to be an American in 1776. That's what we're missing. And that's what I think I'm leading through this campaign for president as a cultural campaign to revive those basic ideas. Well, it look, it certainly fits with your campaign, right? Because it takes a fair amount of audacity to the first step you take into political politics running for the top job right but what you're yeah. talking about is an audacity right from the founding of this country to try to take on something that nobody else thinks is possible and i think it's a unique fit you know one of the things that came out 
uh, yesterday, I guess, was, you know, you're invited to CPAC, which you did a great job. And unbeknownst to you, it comes along with a contract request to to try to basically pump up your so you could appear on the straw poll. Right. And and what I loved about the way you handled that is you're not a part of the inside game and you just sort of blew the whistle on it saying, hey, do we know that this is going on? And it, it just yeah, it's sort of refreshing. It's bizarre. Right. It's bizarre. And in this case, I've learned, I mean, this is a, this is a feature of the political consulting, you know, apparatus. And, and, you know, some of you will know this world better than I will, but there's a lot of people who make money out of politics as an industry. And then there's some random consultant that calls someone from my campaign and says, you know, hey, we can get you in second place if we, you know, stuff enough people into the conference to be able to vote for you. And it's just like, this is, this is fake, but we're seeing ruses like that every day. And yeah. you know what? A big part of my agenda for our national revival is to expose corruption in government. I think there's a lot of it to rid ourselves of this managerial bureaucracy that actually runs the show today and restore an actual system of governance in the United States that says the people who we elect to run the government, whoever they are, maybe I even disagree with them, but the people we elect to run the government are at least the people who actually run the government rather than this permanent state and this managerial bureaucracy in the fourth branch of the administrative state. Republicans love that when I say it, right? <laughs> but I think that we got to practice what we preach. Yeah. And, and the path to putting yourself in that position is also a quasi-corrupt process. And so I didn't embark on this campaign with it being a goal of mine to expose the the corruption of the political industry. But I will say it's caught my attention already, yeah. 10 days or, or two weeks into this, that if we're going to do this from the perch of the White House for the whole country, we're going to do it at every step of the way between now and getting there, too. And, and I'm not embarking on some political career. I mean, if I did want to embark in a political career, I would have approached this very differently. If right. I wanted to be a politician when I grow up, I would not be running for president out of the gate. That That's not the standard path you're supposed to take. But this isn't about me. It's not about some path. It's about driving a national revival of identity itself. And in order to do that, we're going to have to be willing to break some glass along the way. And we're going to be doing that from the White House, I hope, and starting in January 2025. But we're going to be starting. We're doing that already starting today with this campaign. And you know what? There's, I love it. I, 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 you know, I didn't ring a tin can asking a bunch of donors for permission to run. Fortunately, because of my success in business, I was able to kickstart this campaign myself. The rest of it will be lifted up, bottom up from grassroots donations and whatever I need to be putting into this to do this too. But that liberates us to actually, I would say, call the bluff on a system that has a lot of bluffs to be called. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I just refreshing from my point of view. I mean, a lot of times the people who aren't involved in this line of work, uh, the establishment isn't always who you think it is. And, and sometimes you need a candidate like you that's sort of a freight train that if you get on the tracks, you're going to get hit uh, calling mm -hmm. it out, right? Which is what you've done throughout. But I, but I want to get more into the specifics because you've actually put some thought into some of the things you do, right? And I, I think one of the things that got a jarring headline uh, that I think is juxtaposed with your explanation of, of why you think this way is to get rid of the Department of Education. If you mm -hmm. put some put some meat on that bone for us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's only so much you can do in a 280-character tweet, but I think it's important to get into the details of what's behind my commitment, and it is a commitment, to close down and shut down the Department of Education. The U.S. Federal Department of Education should not exist. And I'll tie it into something that is has been a hot topic over the last year, which is the rise of wokeism and gender ideology and critical race theory in the schools. 
And I know there's been this whole movement, and I think it's a good one for actually delivering accountability to school boards. But the invisible dirty little secret is it's actually the federal government that's behind a lot of this too. Mm -hmm. Because as a condition for taking money from the federal government, there's strings attached. And so they turn that federal funding into a set of handcuffs that tie up schools across the country to have to adopt these one-sided toxic agendas. And so as much as it's important to bring accountability to the individual schools themselves, you also got to look at the system that creates the incentives for those school board members to behave the way they do. Again, that falls at the feet of the Federal Department of Education. Now look at a different problem in this country, the worker shortage, okay? Well, one of the problems with the worker shortage in this country is that we have an educational system that tilts the scales towards four-year college degrees yeah. of gender studies majors in California or New York or wherever, but actually does not in the same way promote or advance, say, two-year degrees for welders or builders mm. or carpenters. You know, and, and I think that that's part of the reason why we have this worker shortage in our country. You get what you pay for. And so $80 billion flows through the Federal Department of Education. If you just disperse that across the state, what's that? It's like $1.6 billion per state. Imagine that going to even the schools that are underfunded, public schools that are underfunded. Combine that with school choice. Imagine that even yeah. better going to parents in their pockets, being able to choose what schools they go to. That's the real answer. And so, you know, I, I got I to say, I was, I was pleased last Last night when I saw, I forgot which publication it was, but they were reporting like I was going to bed at like 10 p.m. last night after I've been pounding this pavement for a long time, including the first 10, 12 days of this campaign. I see announcement that Donald Trump says last night that he would abolish the Department of Education if if elected. I got a bit of a kick out of that. But you know what? It's positive. If more candidates are saying the right thing, I'll applaud them for saying the right thing, even if even if they're doing it in the shadow of my leading the way. But that's one of the things you're going to see in this campaign, too, is we are absolutely already leading the way in offering specific policy solutions. And we will preserve our leadership position by a margin in offering really specific, well-grounded, well-argued, constitutionally grounded solutions to the way the federal government's run. Yeah, I, look, I'm glad you brought up that Trump example. I don't think it's going to be the last time that you're going to have candidates in this race sort of adopt your your point of view. You've given a lot of thought to all these things. And and obviously articulated well in a point where it actually makes a lot of sense. You know, it used to be you just throw out a headline and try to get, you know, everybody's attention, but you actually put some thought into this stuff. And and one of the things I wanted to ask you about in that regard, in regard to Trump, is I've heard you refer to yourself as an America first candidate. And I literally, the words America first, I know that to be entirely true because it's it's entirely encapsulated with almost all of your your message and what you've talked about since way before you were a candidate in the first place. I wonder if the the connotation that that brings, though, sort of puts more of a bumper sticker on your ideas than you want here. Do you have well, any thought? Yeah, it's a good topic. I, I'm very intentional about this, actually. So I've said America First 2.0, but every time I've said it, I'm an unapologetic America First conservative, there's the part that comes after it, Yeah, which is that in order to put America first... We have to rediscover what America is. There you go. Or else we're just going through the motions, right? And so, so part of this is taking Trump's America first agenda to the next level, to places where even he was politically unwilling to go. Mm -hmm. I've, I think I'm the, you could correct me on this if I'm wrong, but as best I can tell, I'm the first U.S. Republican presidential candidate in history, certainly modern history, to call for an end to affirmative action in America, race-based affirmative action. 
It started with an executive order under President Lyndon Johnson. Every president, including every Republican president, including Donald Trump, could have taken a pen and crossed it out. They didn't want to because of the fear of political backlash. I know that that's exactly why Trump didn't, because I pushed some of his people on the policy team as to why they didn't do it. And the answer is it's a political hill they didn't want to die on. That's almost exactly what they said. I'm not afraid of that, right? And so in some ways, as it relates to affirmative action, restoring merit, which is a fundamentally pro-American idea, abandoning climate religion, that's all about American exceptionalism, the use of our military to secure our own border and even decimate the cartels, that's about the rule of law. These are basic American ideas that I'm taking to the next level because it's grounded in what America is. And once we know that, we can actually put America first. But I'm not afraid of, of, you know, any mistaken understandings, because I'm going to be explaining exactly what it is I stand for. But I also think that we have got to bring along, there's no path to Republican nomination that doesn't run through the people who unapologetically voted for Donald Trump in the last election. And I'm one of them, right? But I think that what I'm going to be doing over the next year is persuading that base of voters that, yes, I do respect them every bit as much as Donald Trump did, if not in some ways, even more. I've lived the full arc of the American dream. I wasn't born into money. Okay. So I I get what that journey looks like, but it's going to be in a way that actually gets the job done in going to territory that Trump didn't go to. And also even more importantly, in a way that puts us back on a path to national revival rather than a national divorce. And that's what I said in the CPAC stage. And they say, you're not supposed to talk about Trump or whatever. I, I was explicit about it. I respect what he did in 2015. It's part of my inspiration for doing what I'm doing now. And I think Donald Trump actually, for his part, does care about national unity, but who is actually going to deliver it? Yeah. If we were going to have national unity, it would have been delivered already. The question is, do we want a national divorce or do we want a national revival? I'm on the side of a national revival. And I think I'm the person taking this the distance to actually deliver it. But also 2023 doesn't even have to be at the question of the who. What I'm leading voters to think about this year is focus on the what and the why. What do we stand for? Why do we stand for it? Forget about the question of the who for a while. Postpone that to next year. And then next year, the question is, who's going to be best positioned to actually advance that agenda that we had defined? And I think if we can go in that order, I predict 2024 is a landslide election, 1980 style, 1984 style landslide election in this country, because it's not even going to be between Republicans and Democrats. It is going to be between those who are fundamentally pro-America and those who are fundamentally anti-America. And I think that that is a 80-20, maybe even better split in our direction. That's why I'm doing this. And I think we're going to succeed, but it's going to be a, a steady process over the next year and a half. Yeah. Look, I have no doubt on this planet that you're going to succeed in getting people's attention with the message that you've you've talked about here, not only in your presidential campaign, but before. I guess the question is, once you become a threat, Vivek, once you become a threat, they're going to start throwing stones directly at you. I imagine you've given that some thought. Uh, the political arena is obviously a little different than any, there's not any rules, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, look, I think that this process exists for a reason. I think we should want somebody who's able to take a little bit of heat before they get into the kitchen or even take a lot of heat before they get into the kitchen. I don't think if you can't handle a little bit of name calling or a little bit of trash talk, you probably shouldn't be the person (laughs) representing the United States and staring down Xi Jinping either. So this process exists for a reason to wean out the weak and, you know, from the strong. I think we need somebody who's exceptionally strong. You know, I would say spine of steel in representing the United States in 2024 from the White House because we live in a complicated moment. I'm ready for that. I don't mind it. In fact, I've already started to get some of them. 
almost been flattered by how early I think some people who are able to think ahead uh, do see the prospective competitive threat that I would pose. And we've, we've already dealt with some pretty crazy stuff, but that's fine. I have no problem with that. This process exists for a reason. Let's screen out the people who can't handle that job. And whether, you know, it's some people will say that I don't want to talk to reporters who are mean to me or networks yeah. who aren't nice to me. Maybe that's fine if you're a governor, but if you're a leader of this country, I don't think that's going to cut it for taking down and facing the international threats that we do today. It's going to be somebody who's actually going to be able to, as far as I know, I'm the only candidate, and I hope others do it too. I think it's going to be good for the country to go into the lion's den, debate the left on their own home turf, and actually win through the power of arguments. It's great. It's easy to preach about the virtues of free speech to an audience who agrees with you. The harder part is practicing the virtue of what it actually means to live free speech by engaging in open debate. And I see a lot of people in the Republican Party today, even some of the standard bearing leaders who turn upside down what Teddy Roosevelt said, right? He said, speak softly and carry a big stick. I see a lot of people now speaking loudly and carrying a small stick. And I think that you need to speak loudly and carry a big stick because that's actually the kind of moment that we live in today. And, you know, I, I just think that it does take an outsider to do that. You can be an outsider once. You know what? If I've been in the, if I'm one to two terms in, I'm not going to call myself an outsider anymore either. But right now, you better believe it. I have no idea how this political game is played. And I think that's actually going to be a competitive advantage because we don't even intend to play it. Yeah, look, I mean, if we're ever going to break down the silos and actually become unified in any possible way, you're entirely right. We're going to have to speak to people who not only disagree with us, that's one thing, but so much of this culture now is a choose your news element where you're not even hearing an argument from the other side. I think that's an important aspect of what you're talking about here is that you're actually perhaps delivering an argument to people who have never even thought about it before because they only get sort of the MSNBC view of the world. Totally. And it goes in both directions. I mean, I think for people who actually read Woke Inc. or read Nation of Victims, right? One of the things I do is I do, tr I'm not afraid to try on the other side's arguments. You try it on like a set of clothes, you understand how it fits, then you put it back on the rack. I, I think we've got to practice what we preach. I I'm able to define terms like woke or ESG or whatever to make the argument for the case for that point of view often better than the person even on the other side who made it because then you understand what's wrong with it, right? If you can't make the argument for it, then you don't understand the argument for why you're against it either. And a lot of Republicans, I, I view them as foot soldiers in the in the culture. You know, they're saying the words, um, they're going through the motions, their billiard balls hitting what direction they're run. And, and, and there's a role for everybody in this. But I think the next person we have in the White House, we live in complicated times. It's not 1980 anymore. The threats to liberty are not just in the form of big government. It's a hybrid of big government, big business, culture, hegemonic culture in our country that together do what neither can do on their own. That's complicated. You need somebody who's first personal understanding, their own bone deep understanding and conviction is actually their own rather than what somebody else told them in a, in a nine point plan in a binder. You just can't get an executor in the White House. You need a visionary whose actual vision for what it means to be an American. That's actually what guides what they do every day. I mean, even my plans to shut down these agencies, why, haven't, why hasn't that happened yet? That's something you've heard as a talking point from Republicans for a long time. The answer is that most of them think you need to go to Congress for permission because that's what civil service protections say. Or that's what the Impoundment Prevention Act of 1974 says, which says that you need to actually spend money that was allocated to you on a very specific agency if you're the chief executive. Well, as both a 
you know, quasi scholar, if I may say so myself, of the constitution of constitutional law, but also as a business leader who understands what it means to actually run as it run an organization as an executive, which in turn informs my view of the constitution too. I take a strong view that article two of the constitution says the president of the United States runs the executive branch of the government. And I can tell you from experience that if somebody works for you and you can't fire them, that means that they don't work for you. It means that you work for them. Mm -hmm. Right. So I take a strong view of Article 2, which says that all of those civil service protections and impoundment prevention protections, if they mean that I can't fire somebody or shut down an agency that needs to be shut down, those statutes as read are unconstitutional. And I think the current Supreme Court, unlike a Supreme Court of 20 years ago, likely shares my view on that as well. And so I just think you need a president who has a first personal understanding and constitutional conviction to actually follow through and see these things through, as opposed to somebody who's just executing and going through the motions. And I think that will be the defining feature of our candidacy. I think that will be the thing that differentiates my candidacy from from every other candidate in this race. And, and I'll encourage voters who I think, especially in places like Iowa and New Hampshire, when they get to meet you first personally, they have a good sixth sense for this. They have a good sense of antenna of who's actually giving them the reality of their own vision versus who's really just spouting off what they're supposed to say, like a flag that waves in whatever direction the wind is blowing on a given day. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and my bet, I mean, the whole premise of our campaign strategy, the whole premise of this campaign is that over the course of the next year and a half, voters will gravitate to the person who's actually originally advancing their own convictions and their own deep understanding of the actual threats to liberty today and you know i think that's that's a big part of our strategy well i'll tell you this your travels have given you the heartbeat of the conservative movement right now because i think what you're saying is is magic and, and music to the ears of an awful lot of people uh you stick to that you're gonna do just fine uh i got a couple of friends a couple of good ones for you here to end things out though last sure. night i'm walking past the tv uh and gutfeld was on and I heard in the background you talking about something about a libertarian rapper. I need, ah. I need to explore this for a moment. Yeah. So so uh, th my, my stage name was Devek. All right. So it takes <laughs> like Vivek, but, you know, we play on that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we used to, uh, you know, they would have like, you know, different freestyling and, and I was into freedom. And, you know, it was cool to be a libertarian back when I was in college. So I thought that that was the cool thing to do. Yeah. And uh, I ended up not following that career much further than college. <laughs> uh, I ended up getting into the world of biotech investing instead and then started a biotech company. I did come back to stand-up comedy for a little bit after my uh, stint as a biotech investor. But, you know, I, I mostly do what, what my what my passion guides me to do. And when I was a sophomore and, and junior in college, that was to, uh, to be a, a libertarian who liked to put my political philosophy in the form of uh, some spoken word, let's call it. And, uh, you know, that's probably some video it. footage hiding somewhere. You know, so somebody's somebody, you know, in the in the you know competitors oppo research camp needs to get on that and we'll see what they can find. But I can't uh, but wait. I think probably turn up some good stuff, actually. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait for that. You know, it's coming. I can't wait. It'll actually oh, be I'm looking endearing. forward to that. Yeah, I was just going to say it'll be endearing because it's it's nice to know that you're uh, you've got candidates that are a little more rounded and haven't planned since they were in eighth grade uh, to run for president, right? Not the case. Yeah, there's there's uh, plenty of evidence of, of the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, and, you know, most of the time I just speak freely. And so, and so you know what? I, uh, I, I get that's, it. That's, you, you see what you get with me. So uh, I'm okay. I, with I believe that. me. I, I deeply understand that. Um, last question for you. 
This is a new one. We already did the three questions that that you answered last time you were on here. But we've got a little bit of a surprise here. You know that we're kind of an animal fighting podcast lately, Vivek. We, we've a what is it? animal fighting? We've talked a lot about animals uh, and how they're attacking humans. Uh, it seems like hmm. every day in the newspapers. And what we're interested in primarily is what do you think is the biggest animal that you could take down with your bare hands? Oh, with bare hands? Oh, that's a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> I think it would be. Um, a hammerhead shark. Oh, that's really a good answer. Like, yeah, because you just you just give it one solid punch in the nose, and it's a knockout. <laughs> so I you like know, that. I think that's like clearly got to be the answer. Yeah, I think that's good because you can't argue with the t- the tenacity of a hammerhead shark. If you're taking that down, I mean, you thought. But of- I like my odds because <laughs> literally, you just give it one solid punch in the nose, you're good. <laughs> Better be in shallow water, though. I got to tell you. <laughs> Listen, well, I'm told there's a lot of sharks in politics. And as you probably saw this week. <laughs> yeah, they're coming. Punch in the nose. They're coming. That's like. exactly right. Listen, Vivek, for all of our listeners who want to help you out or want to keep up with what you're doing in the campaign, where do they go? Vivek2024.com. V-I-V-E-K 2024.com. And you know what? This is going to be grassroots driven. I don't care what the amount is. The next milestone is get a prominent spot, not just on the debate stage, prominent spot on the debate stage. I'm told that unique donor counts make a difference, make the biggest difference in that. Honestly, you can decide who you vote for next year. But if you want these ideas to be part of the conservative movement, literally like the thing that you could do right now to make sure that the quality of the debate is as high as it possibly can be, give $5, give $1 at Vivek2024.com. And and I think it's going to be good for the conservative movement this year, no matter what happens. Well, that's a hell of a pitch. I can't argue with that at all. Listen, Vivek Ramaswamy, thank you so much for coming on the program. Good luck and we'll stay in touch. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. I mean, the guy is so good. And of course I love him because he grew up in Cincinnati, but like, I think what I really love about the guy is his temerity um, and he's so honest about it because he's like, look, if I wanted to be a career politician, I would have started in a different way than just running for the top job. But here you have someone who is a very successful businessman mm-hmm. who is spending a cut of his fortune to try to make this country a better place or at minimum make people think differently about the way it should be run. You got to tip the cap to the guy. And I really am excited about his. And, and, and I got to say, we have a track record of extremely successful businessmen who the first office they run for is president and they end up doing a good job. So someone to keep an eye on. <laughs> We got. It also had a big Indian week, Smug. Yeah, we got Nikki. We had Vivek. I mean, the the thing is, is that a lot of kudos to both of them for jumping in the fight. There's a lot of these folks who like doing interviews of like, oh yeah, well I'm thinking no, like, one of one of it. your your buddy in New Hampshire who's like he'll do my buddy who's like ah eh, maybe I'll run maybe I won't. Who this knows? is outrageous. <laughs> get in, get in the fight, start fighting, and 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 come on the program. You know, kudos to both of them. They respected the 60-day rule. You announce, you come on Ruthless. It's going to be a great primary season. I love it. Gentlemen, I think we've done it again. Absolutely. Absolute banger of an episode, if I may say so myself. Thank you so much to Vivek. Thank you to our listeners. And we will see you next week. It should be a very exciting lineup. So until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you next week. Stay Ruthless. Ruthless.